thousand points of light. I never quite got that one. Hey, what the hell is that? What did that mean? Does anyone know? Yes. We all know, Mr. President. Even if you don't. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. To explain I'm stuff so scared to Trump. In case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California on KFOI in Red Bluff and Redding, KKRN in Round Mountain, AM 1480 KGOE in Eureka, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove on KSO, and in Eugene on KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN in Palinville, New York on WLPP, Grand Rapids on WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream every day for your listening convenience on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today, for joining me and the delightful Desi Doyen, who is swell as well. Yes, I am here. As a matter of fact, you are um, even sweller. You are swollen. So uh, good to have <laughs> that you. That doesn't I, make any sense, I but know. okay. I know. Since when should I make sense? Um, in, the, uh, in the wake... Of the death of former President George H.W. Bush on Friday, it feels like we have got, as I'm putting together today's show, a thousand points of GOP corruption. But we will get to that in a bit, including a number of updates to some stories that we covered on Friday's broadcast. And maybe some of your calls, if you want to uh, ring in on any of it, at 818-985-5735. Write it down, 818-985-KPFK. President Donald Trump and wife Melania will attend the funeral of George H.W. Bush at the Washington National Cathedral, the White House said over the weekend. After the late president lies in state in the U.S. Capitol through Wednesday, uh, the president will designate Wednesday, December 5, as a day of na national day of mourning. He and the first Donald Trump and the first lady will attend the funeral at the National Cathedral, though presumably not speak at it. White House Press Secretary uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders made that announcement over the weekend. The fact that it is actually news that a sitting president will attend the funeral of a former president is in, in, in itself rather remarkable, it seems to me. 
Uh, but yeah, it is actually news. Trump and the Bush family have had a thorny relationship, including Trump's treatment of former Florida Governor Jeb Bush, once considered a front runner for the Republican nomination back during the 2016 primaries. Trump repeatedly dismissed him and attacked him as low-energy Jeb and worse until Jeb finally dropped out of the primary race. His father, Bush Sr., was the longest-living president in U.S. history. Dying at his home in Houston late Friday night at the age of 94, after serving one term before losing the White House to Bill Clinton, who he later became quite close with in the uh, back in the 1992 presidential election, Bush Sr. served during the Cold War collapse of the former Soviet Union and assembled the multinational coalition uh, that repelled the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait in the first Gulf War. Bush's funeral at the National Cathedral is scheduled for uh, this uh, this Wednesday, and afterwards his remains will make the return trip from Andrews uh, Air Force Base back to Houston. He'll be interned, uh, interred later on uh, Thursday at the George Bush Presidential Library and Museum at Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas. By tradition, and I had no idea, I, well, U.S. financial markets actually close on a national day of mourning. I did not know that. I guess it's been that long since we have had one. Trump did not attend the funeral in April of uh, Bush's wife, uh, Barbara Bush. At the time, the White House said the decision was, quote, to avoid disruptions due to added security and out of respect for the Bush family, who hates me. He No, he didn't say that part. Uh, out of respect for Bush family and friends attending the service. Um, but they, uh, yeah, understandably, they, they do hate Donald Trump. Uh, in a 2016 interview, the elder Bush said of Trump, quote, I don't know much about him, but I know he's a blowhard, and I'm not too excited about him being a leader. In 2017's The Last Republicans, author Mark Updegrove wrote that the elder Bush voted for Democrat Hillary Clinton in 2016. Barbara Bush told CBS in an interview in 2016 that, quote, I don't know how women can vote for him, based on his comments about women. I'm not uh, one to dance on the graves of anybody, frankly, uh, nor am I one to lionize. Uh, So I will leave any thoughts on all of this up to others. I've got uh, quite a bit to cover today, as usual here. But if you'd like to use your public airwaves to ring in with any thoughts on the death of the 41st president of the United States, I will try to open up phone lines here at 818-985-5735. I was uh, struck over the weekend, however, when reading some of the coverage of of Bush's death and his legacy by a paragraph. I think it was in uh, I think it was from CNN's obit, uh, noting that he had called for a kinder, gentler nation during his campaign uh, and regarding his call for volunteerism, which he described as a thousand points of light. There were and are reasons to be cynical about both of those things when it comes to George Bush Sr.'s presidency. But the fact that it that it jumped out at me on the on the page, this call uh, from a president for a kinder, gentler nation and a call for national volunteer service 
just in contrast to what we have become so used to now for a president over these past two years, it was actually somewhat jarring. Pleasantly so, I think. A pleasant reminder of what, well, we used to uh, look to from our presidents, even if only rhetorically. Boy, what a contrast uh, to what we have now. Trump, in a White House statement on Saturday, one obviously not actually written by him, referenced the uh, thousand points of light in praise of the impact of volunteerism that Bush spoke about during a 1988 speech to the Republican National Convention and again in his 1989 inauguration address. But in July, in July of this past year, During a campaign rally in Montana, Trump used the thousand points of light line to basically mock the Bushes and and to mock George H.W. Bush Sr. And by the way, you know, all the rhetoric you see here, the thousand points of light. What the hell was that, by the way? Thousand points of light. What did that mean? Does anyone know? I know one thing. Make America great again, we understand. Putting America first, we understand. Thousand points of light. I never quite got that one. I'm trying to say, what the hell is that? Has anyone ever figured that one out? Uh, and it was put out by a Republican, wasn't it? Yes, yes, we have figured it out, Mr. President. We know what he was referring to, and that was Donald Trump just months ago before then citing a thousand points of light in his uh, statement upon the death of the 41st president. Uh, but as noted, uh, since I'm, I'm not a fan personally of dancing on graves and as George H.W. Bush was the last Republican president to at least pretend to give a damn about the environment, I, I think that is worth noting, at least, his environmental legacy on that score, since it, too, is such a contrast from Republicans since then, including his son, George W. Bush, the 43rd president of the United States, and, of course, uh, couldn't be a bigger contrast from the current occupant of the White House, Desi Doyen, uh, who is our co-host on the Green News Report and, yes. of course, our producer every day. Uh, thoughts on uh, George W. George H. W. Bush and his environmental legacy? Well, there were a lot of things um, that I think are notable to remember. Historical facts, things that uh, President George H. W. Bush, Bush 41, put through that uh, actually we rely on today. For example, remember that National Climate Assessment that came out last week, that was a law passed by George H.W. Bush that required that National Climate Assessment to come out every four years. From the administration, uh, whether you have a climate denier president like Donald Trump or not, they had to put out this report, and it was a startling report. Oh, it was a staggering report that detailed that, yes, climate change is already here. It is already impacting the economy negatively, and those costs are going to skyrocket unless we take action now. So we can thank uh, George H.W. Bush for that, for requiring Donald Trump's administration all these years later to put out a report like that. Exactly. And Bush 41, George H.W. Bush, signed the International Montreal Protocol 
fall of 1990. That's the first ever international climate treaty that went through the United Nations. It uh, finished the process started by President Ronald Reagan. It phased out the use of chemicals that were depleting the ozone layer uh, that, you know, that mm-hmm. protects the all life on Earth from the sun's radiation. So we kind of need the ozone layer. Um, so remember the ozone hole and all that? That mm-hmm. was caused by chemicals used in refrigeration and other applications like uh, hydrochlorofluorocarbons and chlorofluorocarbons, stuff like that. So 30 years later... Show off. <laughs> 30 years later, because of the law, that I mean, the, the treaty, the Montreal Protocol that Bush 41 signed and got the the Senate to approve, mm-hmm. um, because of that, the ozone hole is finally very slowly closing up. And so that's a successful action taken internationally. He also signed into law the landmark expansion of the Clean Air Act of mm-hmm. 1990. Yep. And that was huge. An- another measure that Donald Trump is ruining today. Oh, yeah. I that's suspect. been tripping yeah. up Republicans ever since. Yep. Thank goodness, I have to say, this this huge expansion of the, ni- of the Clean Air Act added all these amendments in 19. 19- that um, allowed the EPA, it actually required the EPA to regulate these ozone-depleting chemicals. It also curbed three threats to public health, acid rain, uh, urban air pollution, and toxic air emissions. And this is the biggest part, I think, uh, something we were talking about off air. Mm -hmm. The 1990 Clean Air Act amendments also included really broad language that authorized the EPA administrator to regulate Air pollution, which may reasonably be anticipated to endanger public health or welfare. In other words, stuff back that, you know, when they originally passed the Clean Air Act in 1970, it was basically intended to cover things we didn't know about yet in 1970. It was basically intended to say, hey, if science shows that something should come up in the future that's going to be a problem, like, say, climate change, then the EPA is authorized to act if it is found to endanger public health. It gives the the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, the authority (laughs) to protect the environment, even if there was not specific things that were laid out, uh, this chemical or that gas or whatever. Uh, And that, that so-called endangerment finding, if the EPA finds something to be dangerous, they may then regulate it. That uh, that measure, uh, underscored by uh, George H.W. Bush and his expansion of the Clean Air Act, is what led his own son's administration, George W. Bush's administration, to not open an email from the EPA for years because the EPA had discovered that, yes, in fact, uh, carbon dioxide was a greenhouse gas that was causing Climate change. Dangerous uh, climate change. That would definitely endanger public health and welfare. So that endangerment finding, yes, that has been the basis for many acts uh, through Congress. And, uh, for example, California uses the endangerment finding of 1990, the law of the Clean Air Act, as its justification for increasing mileage requirements for cars mm-hmm. and trucks. The reasons that our current cars and trucks get as much mileage as they do today is because of California, because of that 1990 Clean Air Act amendment. So that is what the Trump administration is trying to undo. And uh, of course, you know, Trump and the Republican Party are working very hard right now to make both pollution worse yep. for the public and to make climate change absolutely worse. So he everybody. was really one of the last, Repu- well, the last Republican, certainly in the White House, 
house uh, between then and now. Yes. To actually have really any kind of environmental legacy that is worth lauding. Yeah. So, uh, and and, and that yeah. doesn't mean he was perfect by any stretch no. of the imagination. You know, let's be clear that there was a lot that he could have done to uh, set us in motion on climate change and set us in motion on cutting our emissions that he did not do. And we are going to pay for that in our carbon debt later on and now with climate change. But he did do these very important things. And uh, speaking of the contrast, I want to we're going to get to a break uh, shortly. And as I said, if you want to ring in on any of this, 818-985-5735. I got a lot of, believe it or not, yes, election news to get to today here. Um, But uh, the the contrast between George H.W. Bush and the current president, and the current president, uh, Trump, was once again on display at the G20 summit over the weekend in Buenos Aires, uh, Argentina, where the 20 nations could not even agree on a joint statement from all of the nations when it came to the environment, thanks to our denier president and his withdrawal from the uh, landmark Paris Climate Agreement signed by more than 200 nations under former President Obama. Um, in order to try and curb the worst impacts of global warming. Did they ever actually get out a statement at at all from that uh, G20 summit? Yeah, just in spite of the United States throwing the monkey wrench into the discussions. um, Yes, on climate, President Trump was the only holdout. So 19 world leaders signed on to the uh, joint communique that's issued at the end of the G20 in Buenos Aires. Uh, That statement, quote, recognizes that the Paris Agreement is irreversible And we commit to its full implementation, reflecting common but differentiated responsibilities and capabilities in light of different national circumstances. And talks about how they're going to continue to work forward, uh, looking forward to tackle climate change. But, of course, the U.S. didn't do that, so didn't want to sign on to that. So instead of watering down that language, they included a separate paragraph for the United States. It says, quote, The United States reiterates its decision to withdraw from the Paris Agreement and affirms its strong commitment to economic growth and energy access and security, utilizing all energy sources and technologies, meaning oil, while protecting the environment. So that's the special carve-out language that the United States got on the joint communique out of the G20 meeting. So The cheese stands alone. <laughs> that's kind of what uh, where, where we have isolated ourselves uh, in this world right now under this president. Uh, all right, if you have uh, some thoughts you'd like to share in regard to the death of the 41st president of the United States... Thoughts that you may uh, that you feel may not have been adequately covered over the past several days since his death. You are free to ring in with them. My phone number is 818-985-5735. But I have a number of stories I want to get to today, including some updates on uh, several that we covered on Friday's show. Um, uh, several what had been some really, really close races, literally one vote races, including up in Alaska to determine the entire control of the state legislature by just one single vote. We've got an update on that. Also some news on the very important Georgia runoff election on Tuesday for secretary of state in Georgia. No, the midterms are not yet over. And uh, given what's going on on right now in North Carolina, 
where we'll have an update as well. Uh, they Midterms may not actually be over for quite a while. Those stories, maybe your calls if you'd like it, and uh, more are straight ahead on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here. All right, we've got several updates on several stories we covered last week on Friday regarding a number of still undecided elections from the November 6th midterm. Uh, But let me get to a quick call here from Roger in Minneapolis. Hey, Roger, welcome to the Bradcast, sir. What's on your mind? Well, it's an honor. I've been a fan of you and Desi for many years. Um, Thank you, sir. uh, Great, my first uh, joining with you. Um, yeah, um, I can't help myself but to inject. I appreciated the positives that you just brought forth, mm-hmm. but I'd like to bring this out. In my humble opinion, not so humble, um, George George H. W. Bush, um, who uh, back in the early '80s, when he was pursuing an interest in um, becoming. Uh, uh, presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually ran in uh, uh, 1980 um, and did not succeed. Um, his record as the CIA uh, chief, mm-hmm. um, one of his famous quotes was that he believed that a nuclear war was winnable, um, and that maybe the United States would only suffer 40 or 50 million casualties. Um, uh, piled on top of that, I think we need to remember that in fact, the uh, first Iraq war was um, aggressive war on the part of the United States. Maybe it had some allies, but it was a setup, and um, it targeted civilian infrastructure, and by the UN's own reckoning, caused the unnecessary deaths of as many as 500,000 children. Um, this, this, I, I, I deem the man to be a monster, and I think it needs to be said. So I'm going to dance on a gravestone. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, Roger. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, happy to let you dance away as you like. And uh, I, I don't uh, disagree. Uh, it's just not my thing. But that's why I opened the phones to let other people do it. And I do appreciate that, Roger. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Stay warm up there, my friend in Minneapolis. Uh, Let's go to, uh, do we want to get to uh, uh, to Mo here? Let's go to Mo, and our friend Mo Morris in Long Beach. Hey, Mo, how are you, brother? Hey, hey uh, Brad, real good, Brad. Thank you for asking. Brad, I'm getting sick and tired of all this counting. Listen, I just left the article station. These folks know how much gas I bought, how much I paid, the time of day, who took the money. The whole deal took a matter of seconds. Now, we know we can do this with our voting, too. But the reason why we keep screwing around with our voting is because the, the folks don't want us to address the redistribution of the wealth of this country. We know what's really going on with that. And I'm going to tell you something. If a barbarian was in charge of a government anywhere in the world, I think he's in charge of ours. Thanks, Brett. 
Thanks, brother. Uh, Morris in Long Beach uh, talking about the counting that, yes, still continues today in uh, several different races. As a matter of fact, out here in California, we have yet to even certify our uh, results from the November 6th midterm elections. That takes place. The certification, I think, is supposed to take place uh, by the state on uh, on uh, the December 6th, if I recall, 30 days after the election. But um, as noted, These elections are not over yet. First, Georgia is going back to the polls on Tuesday for a very important runoff election for secretary of state, as well as a public service uh, commissioner post after none of the candidates succeeded in getting more than 50 percent of the vote on November 6th. We noted on Friday's show that the Democratic Party had sued the state on Thursday And the office uh, sued the state and the office of its former Republican secretary of state, Brian Kemp. He has since resigned to become governor of Georgia now after suppressing enough votes in the peach state. Unlike really we have ever we have seen in this country since the Jim Crow era. Um, But uh, the lawsuit uh, late last week was because scores of counties in Georgia failed to send out tens of thousands of requested absentee by mail ballots until just this past week. Even though they have to be filled out and returned by Election Day on Tuesday of this week, not postmarked by Tuesday, but somehow returned to their respective uh, respective counties by then under state law. So. They were mailed out by the county, then they need to be filled out by the voters and mailed back and arrive in less than a week somehow because so many counties in Georgia waited so long to send out the absentee ballots for this runoff. And remember, this is an important one. This is for secretary of state in the state of Georgia after a year where we saw this kind of voter suppression in the peach state. So Democrats uh, sued on Thursday to extend the deadline uh, to allow uh, these uh, vote by mail ballots to be counted if they are postmarked by Election Day and then received by three days after the election. Um, Right now, they have to be that right now they have to arrive somehow by Election Day. So after we got off the air uh, late on Friday, According to AP, Georgia's secretary of state agreed to extend the deadline for accepting absentee ballots for the upcoming runoff after initially blaming Democrats for the late ballots going out in the first place because presumably Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams had fought to try and count all of the votes from the initial general election on November 6th. And so the Secretary of State blamed Democrats because, oh, no, they had to actually count all the goddamn ballots. That's going to take time. So we can't be expected to send out ballots for for a runoff. Uh, Results of the November 6th election were certified on November 17, uh, which, by the way, is very quick. As I said, in California, we still haven't certified. So they were certified very quickly. But at least 65 of the state's 159 counties did not send out absentee ballots for the December 4 runoff until just last week, according to the federal lawsuit uh, filed by the Democrats. In a court filing agreeing to the extended deadline sought by the Democrats, the interim secretary of state, Robin Crittenden, maintains there was no wrongdoing by the state or county election officials. 
Nonetheless, the uh, proposed consent order that she signed and that was submitted to the court on Friday says that absentee ballots that are postmarked by December 4, that's Election Day, Tuesday, uh, and received by December 7, will in fact now be counted. There's some good news. So the same rules will apply to all absentee ballots in Georgia for this runoff as are currently applied to the state's overseas military voters. They're allowed to uh, to have the ballots uh, counted as long as they are postmarked by Election Day and arrive up to three days later. So now everyone gets to enjoy that. Seems fair. There are just two statewide races on the uh, runoff ballot on Tuesday, Secretary of State and that seat on the Public Service Commission in the Secretary of State race. Um, back on November 6, the Republican Brad Raffensperger received about 49, a little bit more than 49 percent of the uh, nearly four million votes that were tallied. The Democrat John Barrow, a former congressman, he got 48.7 percent. A libertarian candidate took a little bit more than 2 percent. So nobody got more than 50 percent leading to this runoff. And as we reported last week with uh, our guest, I think it was last week, Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance. Uh, They are suing the state to force them to move to a hand-marked paper ballot system for all in Georgia um, versus the 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen system that voters are still forced to use at the polling place. Uh, Maryland's uh, Coalition for Good Governance has also challenged the results of the lieutenant governor's race from November 6th has filed a contest there due to an inexplicably high undervote rate in only the lieutenant governor's election, not in the governor's election, not in the, you know, ag commission or secretary of state's race, only in the lieutenant governor's race. And she's calling for a uh, a forensic investigation of those D-bold touchscreen systems because of it. So that will be interesting. We will keep our eyes on that. Um, but she's trying to force them to move to uh, to a hand marked hand marked paper ballot system. Right now, uh, the Republican candidate in the Secretary of State's race he wants to move from the uh, current easily hacked 100% unverifiable Diebold touchscreen voting systems to a new unverifiable touchscreen voting system that creates computer marked paper ballots. Basically, a big, expensive electronic pencil that uh, spits out computer-marked, barcoded ballots that we can't know if they're verified uh, by the voter accurately or not because they're not hand-marked. This system, by the way, is not unlike the system that we here, yes, in Los Angeles, in L.A. County, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation, will be moving to very soon. I believe, before the 2020 presidential election. Yes, we will be moving to unverifiable touchscreen voting here in the state, in the state, in the county of Los Angeles. Actually, the county of Los Angeles is bigger, has more voters than I think something like 32 states. So it's damn near a state. Um, And we're going to have unverifiable ballots. Just like the state of Georgia. You can tell how happy I am about that, can't you, Des? You can see the (laughs) big smile on my face. Uh, In any event, the Democrat Barrow in the Georgia runoff 
for Secretary of State, supports a move to hand-marked paper ballots for all. Uh, But hey, at least uh, those who vote now by mail in Georgia for this runoff will now have a slightly better chance of actually having their runoff votes counted in the race, thanks to the uh, successful Democratic lawsuit last week. Uh, All right. Got another update uh, from Alaska and one from North Carolina. But a number of you want to get in on uh, George H.W. Bush and uh, his legacy. So let me try to uh, smatter in some calls here. Mark in San Pedro, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad. Uh, I just wanted to inject a little perspective here on um, Herbert Walker Bush, uh, mm-hmm. George Herbert Walker Bush. Um, look, I think most of us agree that loss and death in a family is very difficult. Um, it's it's heartbreaking. But let me just add a little perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Mr. Bush was arguably the person who started the first Iraqi war, and very dubiously, I might add, one could say it was trumped up and you could say that led to a lot of. I see what you did there, Mark. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) So so that's part of his legacy. Yeah. Uh, Also part of his legacy is the Iran-Contra affair. Mm -hmm. Also part of his legacy is. um, uh, For which he was never held accountable, by the way, the Iran-Contra affair. Um, And I have a laundry list. I don't want to go through the whole list because um, because I am one who is a feeling, you know, very. I I I understand loss and family, but I'll use this analogy and leave it at this. Mm-hmm. Um, if um, if I uh, was considered to be loved by my family, or I was a family man, and then I was also a mass murderer, I would be remembered in my little humble life as a mass murderer. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be thought of as a family man i would be (laughs) but but when you when you put the same thing on a president who you know his actions and his choices as a as a government you know as a person in politics you know he you know you could say his choices uh his governing led to a lot of pain and suffering and death yep um, especially in the middle east and so but you but we we're not supposed to think of him as a murderer we're not supposed to think of him as someone who inflicted pain on people we're supposed to be rever- he's, we're supposed to revere the fact that he was a president, and it's very—it's almost like we're, we're being forced to be psycho fans for a president. Eh, not here. And, uh, you know what? I mean, I know that's that's what. Not, uh, not here in terms of this. We, we we tell the truth. We call the you know the facts as yeah. they are, which you have done, Mark, and which I greatly appreciate. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, brother. Uh, speaking of, well, I want to get back to the story. However. Someone named Brad has called in, and, uh, of course, this is the Bradcast, so we have to put them straight to the top. Brad in uh, Santa Monica, welcome to the Bradcast, sir, unless you have faked your name in order to get on the show. <laughs> no, it's okay. Bradley. Oh, okay. Hey, Bradley. Talk to you, Brad. Uh, I just wanted to weigh in on, on George Bush also um, and point out that it would be hard to quantify the amount of death and destruction that he's inflicted from the time that he was CIA director to vice president and president. If you go back, like in the book, The Devil's Chessboard by David Talbot, you mm-hmm. can see his involvement with his family and the Dulleses, the John and Alan Dulleses um, family with the banking institutions, and that which eventually led to the Korean War, in which we wiped out almost a third of their population, 
and then the Vietnam War, which 3.2 million people died, and then all the way up to uh, Kennedy, Iran-Contra, and I'm going to say it, 9-11. He was having breakfast with the bin Laden family that morning, and they were the only family that got clearance to fly out of the country. And um, so in Central America, Guatemala, South America, you name it, anybody that showed socialistic tendencies, we overthrew them. And he was right there involved with all of this. Uh, He was in Dallas the morning of uh, Kennedy's assassination. And like the previous caller said, and you said, Iran-Contra and and even 9-11. And so I just wanted to say you couldn't quantify, uh, oh, and petrochemicals, tax breaks for the wealthy, you name it. Um, It'd be hard to quantify the amount of uh, death and destruction that he's responsible for. Thanks, Brad. I, I appreciate that call uh, very much. And I would note that, uh, you know, Fox News, I suspect they don't, they don't uh, allow uh, callers or points of view along that line, despite the fact that they call themselves fair and balanced. Uh, we actually uh, supply some balance to the uh, hagiography that has occurred over the past several days when it comes to the... Uh, to the former uh, 41st president, who has not yet been interred. So, you know, I, like I said earlier, I'm not one for dancing on graves, uh, but you're welcome to. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Uh, Let me get to uh, this Alaska story, and then we'll try to get back to uh, some more of your calls here. Uh, because I want to make sure we get this. We had uh, up to another story that we had covered on uh, on Friday. We now have a resolution of sorts of sorts on. It was a tie. It was two thousand six hundred and sixty two votes to two thousand six hundred and sixty two votes. That was the tie that stayed until the very end, according to the Alaska Daily News, when a decision about a ballot challenged during Friday's recount, this is just days ago, uh, ended up flipping control of the Alaska State House District 1 race, which was being recounted, uh, counted actually for the first time by hand on Friday. Uh, One challenged ballot ended up flipping control of that House district and with it control of the entire Alaska state legislature. It flipped it to the Republican Party. The final tally from Friday gives Republican Bart Laban 2,663 votes and the Democratic candidate Catherine Dodge 2,662 votes. Laban's victory in the state House District 1 means that a Republican-aligned House caucus holds 21 seats. That is enough for a majority to control the majority in the House up there in Alaska. After the election of Republican uh, Governor Mike Dunleavy and uh, the electoral success of Republicans in the Alaska State Senate, the Republican Party now has a trifecta up in Alaska, complete control of Alaska state government, and it all came down to one single vote. A few votes were adjusted during the hand count of the hand-marked paper ballots that thankfully they had at least to count on Friday after the initial results had also ended in a tie when they went into that recount on Friday uh, with the control of the House hanging in the balance, the hand count um 
also initially ended in a tie and then came decisions about whether or not to count certain absentee ballots whose legality had been challenged by one side or the other, according to the uh, Alaska Daily News, with Assistant Attorney General Margaret Patton Walsh in the room alongside representatives from each candidate. It was decided that one previously invalid ballot should be counted. That ballot turned out to be for the Republican Laban, and that broke the uh, broke the tie. Josie Bonke, the director of the State Division of Elections, said, quote, at the end of the day, we have a standard procedure to review the rejected ballots. And during that review, Region 3 Supervisor Jeremy Johnson and myself identified a ballot that had initially been rejected. So this was a ballot that was originally they didn't count. Johnson explained that upon further review, the former felon who had cast that ballot had, in fact, exited probation in 2017. And under a state law, a felon can get their voting rights restored when they leave the criminal justice system and ask for their rights back. Johnson said today, upon further research, we were able to determine that they had been uh, this uh, voter had been off of probation for uh, since 2017 and they had an appropriately filed registration application. So that is why the ballot, they said, yes, should be counted. Now, the ballot had been sealed up until that decision was made uh, about its eligibility, which led to apparently a great moment of very high drama when it was opened, revealing Laban's name. Uh, the Republicans name as the choice in this particular race. Uh, and that was enough to give the control of the entire state legislature over to Republicans. Now, there was a much talked about mystery ballot that was found weeks ago on a table in a voting precinct. We talked about that on Friday. That was a vote for the uh, for the Democrat. And the question was, should it be counted or not? Ultimately, that ballot AP reports ended up playing no role in the final outcome because the ballot um, was tossed on Friday after officials were able to determine that it was a spoiled ballot from a voter who had made a mistake on it, told officials about it, and then filled out a new ballot. So that ballot was not counted. The end of the uh, recount up in Alaska signals the opening of a five-day period now in which either candidate may legally challenge the result of the election in court. Any challenge could be addressed directly to the Alaska Supreme Court. The Democrat Dodge, who seems to have lost by one vote, uh, said on Friday that she hadn't yet made a decision about uh, whether to challenge it at this point. But for now, complete control of the Alaska government will be Republican after one single vote decided the race that might have otherwise left Democrats at least in control of the state House of Representatives. As we noted on Friday when we covered some of uh, some of the other one vote races around the country, you can download that show from bradblog.com, uh, including one that is being challenged by a Republican who lost by one single vote in Kentucky. As we noted on Friday, yes, every vote matters, or at least it's supposed to. Much of this uh, got lost on uh, on Friday, the concerns about this this race and control of the government uh, in Alaska, because they got struck by a monster 7.0 earthquake, which caused a lot of damage in and around Anchorage. Fortunately, 
uh, while there was a lot of structural damage to the uh, to infrastructure and roads and and so forth, there were no serious injuries or deaths reported. Um, but the state does have its work cut out for uh, for itself for now um, to repair the damage now that they know who will be in charge in the new year. And then there's North Carolina. <sighs> You know what? We should take a break and come back for North Carolina. I'll need to come back and get my breath for this one. Um, this is just an amazinger and amazinger story as we move forward. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with the latest on the North Carolina GOP election fraud, which is being uh, just revealed for the nation as uh, things move forward there. I'll get to that after this break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Sounds like a finale, doesn't it? No, uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. It is uh, not a finale, not by a long shot up in North Carolina, which had all of its U.S. House members figured out uh, after this year's election until last week when the State Board of Elections stunned the state and the nation by refusing to certify one U.S. House race that was said to have been won by a Republican. But now it's become pretty clear it was a mystery at the time. We didn't know why they uh, decided against certifying this race. Now it's become pretty clear that the election was won at, at the very least with the help of a Republican election fraud scheme with absentee ballots in a U.S. House race. Uh, you know, we talk about the lack of voter fraud by actual voters at the polling place, despite Republican attempts all over the country and certainly in North Carolina to claim that there is some sort of massive fraud at the polls. In fact, there is zero evidence that there is massive fraud at the polls. There is evidence of quite the contrary, very little evidence of fraud at the polls by voters. There is, however, evidence of vote-by-mail fraud, which is just one of the reasons I'm no fan of the rapidly expanding use of uh, vote-by-mail all over the country. So now we continue to learn more about this scheme in North Carolina. All of the other U.S. House races have been certified in North Carolina, except for this one in uh, North Carolina's 9th Congressional District, where uh, this scheme, apparently by a GOP contractor, um, 
helped Republican Mark Harris to reportedly defeat the Democrat uh, Dan McCready by 905 votes out of more than 280,000 votes cast. According to NPR this weekend, enough confusion has clouded a North Carolina congressional race that the state's Board of Elections has announced a delay in certifying that Republican uh, Harris defeated Dan McCready the uh, Democrat in the state's ninth district because of, quote, claims of irregularities and fraudulent activities. In a seven to two vote on Friday, the board said it will instead hold a, a another public hearing by December 21. I thought it was on December 21, but it will be, in fact, by December 21, quote, to assure that the election is determined without taint of fraud or corruption and without irregularities that may have changed the result. That vote on Friday followed a unanimous vote, nine to nothing, earlier in the week to postpone election certification results. The Friday vote fueled new uncertainty about the outcome of the race and raised the possibility that a second election now could be called. The AP originally called the race for Harris some time ago, but they revoked that projection on uh, on Friday. The Washington Post reports that the State Board of Elections has already collected uh, at least six sworn statements from voters in Bladen County. That's one of the several counties in the 9th District, alleging that people came to their doors, urged them to hand over their absentee ballots. In Bladen and Robeson counties, some 3,400 absentee ballots failed to be mailed back for some reason to election officials. That, according to the NPR affiliate in Charlotte, uh, WFAE, that's 40 uh, percent of the mail-in ballots in Bladen County and 64 percent in Robeson County, according to the Raleigh News and Observer. An election expert in North Carolina told WFAE that when people go through the process to request an absentee ballot, the return rate is usually about 80 or 90 percent. But here we had uh, 40 percent in in Bladen County returns, only 64 percent in uh, in Robeson County. Um, More than uh, the News and Observer also reports here that uh, the unreturned ballots were disproportionately associated with minorities. More than 40 percent of the ballots requested by African-Americans and more than 60 percent of those requested by American Indians did not make it back to election officials for some reason. 40 percent and 60 percent compared with white voters where the figure was just 17 percent. Something went uh, terribly wrong sideways in uh, Bladen County, North Carolina. In one affidavit uh, received by the board, a woman named Emma Shipman said she was visited by a person who claimed to be gathering absentee ballots. Shipman said she filled out the form while the woman waited outside. Quote, she took the ballot and put it in an envelope and never sealed it or asked me to sign it. Then she left. Now, collecting absentee ballots by a third party in North Carolina is illegal. Shipman said, however, quote, because of the way she presented herself, I thought she was legitimate. 
The Democratic candidate McCready said on Friday, quote, I respect today's decision by the bipartisan Board of Elections to delay certification of our election results until a further investigation is completed. The Republican Harris, you'll be shocked to learn, opposed the decision on Friday, said that the state Board of Elections should act immediately to certify the race. Won by 905 votes. Despite all of these allegations of fraud, uh, they should act to certify it immediately while continuing to conduct their investigation. He said anything else is a disservice to the people of the 9th District. Well, he's saying they must install the guy who may not have won the race. And if they don't, it would be an outrageous disservice to voters. Now, during the Republican primary in this district, uh, Harris uh, reportedly defeated the incumbent Republican congressman, Robert Pittenger. Uh, and again, in Bladen County, uh, Harris received more than 400 absentee votes compared to, I think it was either seven or eight that Pittenger received in all of Bladen County. Now, it seems like that alone should have set off red flags for the Republican candidate, who, by the way, is a minister who is calling for Jews to accept Jesus Christ if they want to be accepted into heaven. But that's a separate issue. Putting that aside, uh, as all of this comes down, as the uh, Public Post reports, uh, all of this is happening after substantial evidence of improprieties involving absentee ballots in this district, a series of affidavits submitted suggest that the GOP contractor here, a man by the name of Leslie McCray Dallas, who was hired by the Harris campaign through a contractor, that he systemically, systematically falsified, manipulated and potentially destroyed absentee ballots, particularly in Bladen County, where Harris won by a little bit more than 1,500 votes. That's more than his 905-vote margin statewide. An analysis of the vote in Bladen shows significant statistical anomalies in absentee voting. For example, 7.5% of voters in Bladen requested absentee ballots, while in most counties it was less than 3%. And in Bladen, Republicans represented just 19 percent of voters who requested absentee ballots. However, the Republican Harris somehow managed to win 61 percent of the absentee vote. That don't sound right. According to the uh, affidavits, uh, McCray Dallas and his team allegedly showed up at voters doors and collected these absentee ballots. That is illegal. Another person uh, filed an affidavit saying that Dallas uh, said he was hired by Harris to work the absentee ballot operation in Bladen County. And if Harris won, McCray Dallas said he would be paid $40,000 in cash. He would be paid only if the candidate won. Now, as the problems in the North Carolina 9th District uh, have gotten a lot of uh, national attention, one important aspect of the story goes unreported uh, largely up until now, the uh, Public Post notes. McCray Dallas has a criminal record, a bad one. 
Records from the North Carolina Department of Public Safety reveal that Dallas has been convicted of multiple crimes. On uh, in, in 1990, a uh, 24-year-old employee of Dallas's auto sales business had died in a car accident. And after the death, Dallas forged the man's signature on a life insurance policy and backdated it, naming himself the beneficiary. Dallas paid one month of uh, premiums, which was $38, and then he submitted a claim for and received a check for $163,000 from this fraudulent life insurance policy. He pleaded guilty to felony fraud in uh, 1992 on this. Uh, he received a suspended sentence somehow, but he was placed on, on probation, which he then violated. He violated his parole uh, his probation was revoked, and then he served six months in jail for his crime in 1995. He has also uh, has several misdemeanor convictions for writing bad checks and failing to pay taxes. So, of course, he was the perfect person for the North Carolina Republican Party to hire for their absentee ballot campaign in the 9th District. In the uh, 2016 race, uh, Dallas himself alleged that there was absentee ballot fraud targeting then-Republican governor of North Carolina, Pat McCrory. He ended up, uh, McCrory did, losing very narrowly to Democrat Roy Cooper, but not before claiming that Democrats had were committing fraud in the election despite the lack of evidence. And when McCray Dallas appeared before election officials to detail his allegations, he appeared to acknowledge that he was involved in fraud. Now, we don't have time, but This American Life actually covered this back in 2016, including this hearing where essentially Dallas is admitting to fraud on behalf of Republicans. Uh, nonetheless, uh, there were calls for investigations at the time. Nothing came of that investigation after the 2016 election. The information was given to the U.S. attorneys. But for some reason, I don't know, maybe the Republican uh, U.S. attorneys put in place by Donald Trump didn't wish to pursue the charges. And remember, this is in North Carolina, where uh, where the Republicans there have been claiming Democratic voter fraud for years and trying to keep them from voting because of it. And it was the Republicans who did it. Anyway, I got to get out more on that, no doubt, in our uh, next thrilling broadcast tomorrow. Until then, uh, my thanks to uh, Desi Doyen, our producer, to all of you folks who called in. Sorry I couldn't get to everyone. Uh, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Bradblog. That is it. Now, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Bye.